Hey all, welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. I am your host, pharmacist Eric Christensen. Thank you so much for listening today. Go check out reallifepharmacology.com. Go subscribe there and you will get a free 31-page PDF on the top 200 drugs. Uh, Great little study guide, great little refresher, whether you're a student or out in practice as a physician, pharmacist, nurse, uh, whatever healthcare profession you're in, if you deal with medications, that resource is absolutely going to be helpful for you. Uh, all we ask is simply an email uh, to get access to that list. So go check that out, reallifepharmacology.com. Let's get into the drug of the day today, and that is hydromorphone. Brand name of this medication is Dilaudid. And if you've been in healthcare at all, you'll probably know this is an opioid analgesic. So primarily what we're going to use this for is treatment of pain. And more specifically, ideally, we'd like to try to limit its use to acute pain. Uh, We're definitely trying to avoid chronic opioid use if we can at all do it. Uh, So really, uh, acute pain is where you're going to see this out in clinical practice most often. So being an opioid analgesic, it binds opioid receptor, which which ultimately uh, inhibits those pain signals to the uh, brain and central nervous system. Uh, The way I best explain it is it essentially alters the perception of pain or how you feel about the pain. So for example, sprained or, or broken ankle, something like that, and we use an opioid, We're not going to really heal that area or reduce inflammation or do anything like that. Uh, We're just going to essentially uh, block or blunt those pain signals or reduce those pain signals going from the site to the injury to the brain. So hopefully that makes sense there for you. All right, one thing I wanted to mention specifically with hydromorphone, and this is true of other opioids as well, Um, But there are a lot of different dosage forms with hydromorphone. So we've got injectable, we've got oral immediate release, oral extended release, uh, liquid, uh, oral, suppository. So ensuring that we've got the appropriate dose and the appropriate route is going to be really, really important. There is boxed warnings, several of them with opioids and with hydromorphone specifically. So first off, addiction, dependence, uh, misuse. This is a controlled substance, a scheduled two controlled substance. So there is very high risk for addiction and dependence. Uh, Next, of course, we've got overdose. So in an overdose situation, we're going to see respiratory depression. We're going to want to use a reversing agent like naloxone in that type of emergency situation. But in overdose, the thing that's going to kill people or cause damage, significant damage, is that respiratory depression. Basically, the slowing down uh, and eventually stopping of the breathing if that dose is too high. And this can be exacerbated by drugs. And I'll talk more about this in drug interactions, but uh, classically benzodiazepines and alcohol, excessive intake of those or your intake of those in addition to dosages or high dosages of hydromorphone can increase that risk for overdose respiratory depression. 
Uh, there are other warnings as well. So a couple I, I wanted to mention. So withdrawal in, in neonates. So uh, newborns where uh, individuals have uh, pregnant females have prolonged use of hydromorphone during pregnancy. So neonates will have a potentially uh, withdrawal type situation. And this can be uh, life-threatening. So very important warning on that and to pay attention to that um, if patients, uh, pregnant patients have been using uh, opioids like this. Uh, one other warning is on dosage forms. So there is various concentrations, particularly injectable, we worry about a little bit more so, uh, but there are numerous different uh, dosage forms of the injectable hydromorphone. So we can have anywhere from one milligram per mil to 10 milligram per mil, okay? So if in dispensing, administering, ordering, if you screw up, if you make a mistake here, we could potentially have a tenfold error. So that can be really, really serious and obviously life-threatening if we give the wrong dose to the patient. So my word of advice, be extremely careful with concentrate various concentrations of, of opioids and you know hydromorphone here we're talking about specifically um, but certainly that can apply to other opioids as well such as morphine for example now one might ask well, why the heck would we want different concentrations and you know one is you could have patients that are very tolerant to opioids they've been you know maybe abusing or you know taking higher dose prescription opioids for a long period of time, and they could have a very high tolerance. So you might need a higher dose, again, depending upon that situation clinically. Uh, another situation uh, might be fluid restriction. So we might want a little bit more um, opioid within that fluid so we can give a, a lower volume of fluid and not have to give so much volume to give a certain amount of drug as well. So those are two examples where you, you might see, um, uh, you know, the higher concentrations product used or we might have a potential uh, need for that. But again, extremely, extremely cautious when we're using uh, these highly concentrated type medications. All right, let's talk about adverse effects, uh, sedation, constipation, dizziness, uh, stomach upset can happen, obviously dependence addiction, we've talked about that, respiratory depression, again, that's as you get to, to more aggressive dosing or maybe uh, even an unintentional overdose. Uh, also wanted to mention GI motility, so it can slow down the GI tract, which kind of goes along with constipation, but maybe in a patient with gastroparesis, uh, for example, it could exacerbate that a little bit more. Uh, drops in blood pressure have been, been reported as well with the use of hydromorphone. So uh, obviously in an, in an emergency, you know, ER, um, medical hospital type situation, um, we're going to likely be monitoring, you know, blood pressure and pulse and things like that anyway. Um, but there can be some changes that can happen there and that we should uh, pay attention to. Uh, kinetics, um, uh, there is a metabolite, hydromorphone 3-glucuronide, um, and this is a little bit similar to morphine 2 here. Um, this metabolite has been associated with reports uh, of excitatory type effects, so uh, allodynia, so that is kind of a, a normal uh, touch 
can be painful. So, you know, whether it's, you know, brushing hair or touching somebody, you know, on the shoulder, uh, that can be extremely painful. That's what allodynia means. Uh, Another uh, significant issue that has been reported potentially with accumulation in renal impairment of this metabolite uh, is seizures, so another neuroexcitatory type effect that can happen. Uh, A couple other kinetics things, so immediate release, onset of action, 15 to 30 minutes, so obviously we can use that uh, in an as-needed situation, acute pain. The extended release, onset of action is several hours, so in the ballpark is six hours, I believe. So if you ever see uh, PRN hydromorphone extended release, that's probably an error, okay, Um, but should certainly be, be addressed there. Uh, ballpark bioavailability is approximately one-fourth oral bioavailability compared to IV. So if you go look at initial dosing for IV hydromorphone, you'll see it's approximately one-fourth of the initial oral dosing. So I've got it down here for you. So IV initial uh, opioid-naive patients approximately 0.2 to 0.5. And Oral approximate initial dosing is one to two milligrams. Okay, so you can see that you know giving it IV, you're going to get more drug essentially, or that drug is going to be more active than going through the gut, where you know we don't have 100% absorption. We've got some reduced uh, absorption due to going through the the GI tract. Uh, potency. I wanted to mention that quickly. Um, Hydromorphone is more potent than many other opioids. So some of the common ones we think about, morphine, hydrocodone, codeine, um, hydromorphone is more potent. So naturally, we're going to have lower dosages, initial dosages, than we would have uh, if we select another one of those opioids I mentioned. So very, very important to look at that and recall that uh, varying opioids have varying potencies. All right, let's take a quick break from our sponsor and we'll wrap up with drug interactions. If you're in the market for pharmacist board certification study materials like pharmacotherapy, geriatrics, ambulatory care, BCMTMS, or the NAPLEX exam, definitely go check out meded101.com store. Also, if you're a nurse, med student, PA, nurse practitioner, we've got all sorts of resources there on drug interactions, drug food interactions, case studies. Uh, These are a lot of Amazon books that I have available as well. Uh, So that whole list is at meded101.com slash store. And your help and support there directly supports this podcast. So I'm greatly appreciative to those of you who have purchased things there. And again, a lot of these books make great gifts. If you've got a, a young budding pharmacist, med student, nursing student that's looking to learn about medications. Um, Great gifts for people there as well. So again, go check that out, meded101.com slash store. Uh, Lots of different resources there that can help you uh, become a better clinician or help others learn about medications. All right, wrapping up drug interactions. So first off, hydromorphone avoids in general, mostly the SIP pathways. So that's, that's a nice thing in that we don't have to worry about, you know, 3A4, 1A2, 2C9, whatever the case may be. So we don't have to worry about that too much with hydromorphone. So that's nice. Uh, 
So when it comes to drug interactions, I think about additive effects. So CNS depressants, so your benzodiazepines, gabapentin, alcohol, uh, Z drugs used for sleep like Zolpidem, things like that. So these can all have that additive CNS depressant effect. Important to educate patients and pay attention to that. Um, anticholinergics uh, like diphenhydramine, first-generation antihistamines, these can be sedating as well, so that could add to that effect. Uh, but also you think of some of the other anticholinergic effects like constipation, uh, urinary retention. So this can potentially have additive effects with hydromorphone as well. Uh, think about the GI motility issue. So hydromorphone slows down the gut, so that could potentially oppose the beneficial effects from a drug like metoclopramide. Uh, serotonin syndrome risk has been reported. Uh, it's not something that's really, really high on my priority list, but if you've got a patient on lots of serotonergic drugs, adding hydromorphone um, could potentially increase that risk for serotonin syndrome. Again, something I don't crazy watch for, but something uh, to think about if you've got somebody on a lot of serotonergic drugs. All right, so that's going to wrap up the podcast for today. I hope you picked up some practice pearls. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. I'm greatly appreciative to those of you who have already done that. Uh, support the sponsor, meded101.com slash store. Again, that goes to directly support this podcast. Uh, it helps keep it free for everyone to benefit from. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, Eric Christensen, PharmD, BCPS, BCGP on LinkedIn, or mededucation101 at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Take care. Hope you have a great rest of your day.